1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll by now. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about building the healthcare of tomorrow. We recently passed 175 episodes in three years on the air. We're now in season six, where we're focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer first healthcare, and digging into the details of how to make it happen. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about investing more upstream to reduce spending downstream. Should we wait for a consumer to become a patient in order to engage them in their health or involve them in the design process? I'll talk about that. Then Dr. Steve Ambrose is in the house to share some provocative thinking about how business models of care impact the ability to deliver consumer-first care. Straight from the headlines, we'll cover a couple of big news items from last week, including Steve's take on Google Health and the launch of a new competitor to GoodRx offering online delivery for affordable generic medications. He'll also make the case that consumerism means not just patients, but also employers. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go.
0: Flavor of the
1: Week. Investing more upstream will save more downstream. A couple of friends of the program, Jane Sarason khan and Stacey Hurt, discussed this principle during a recent webinar, and it led me to think... What line of business are we actually in? If it's truly to help people live healthier lives, let's lean into this thought of investing more upstream and use it as one of our building blocks as we're designing the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're involved in creating consumer-first healthcare products, service lines, or experiences, it helps to understand where your offering sits on that spectrum of health. Upstream refers to preventive care, primary care, and other entry points. Downstream refers to sick care, particularly acute and emergency care. Jane and Stacy reiterated that to make change, it will require all of our stakeholders to work together. In one example, Jane connected mental health to behavioral health and its ripple effects on the economic state of health care. This speaks to all of us. It's also another reason why hospitals will continue to play a more narrow role in our health. It doesn't mean they'll ever go away, but this time, right now, is most certainly an opportunity for them to consider fully-fledged reinvention, before it's forced upon them by ever-growing consumer demands and provider burnout. As we've often heard from James Gardner, another friend of the program, what would it look like if hospitals embraced at-home virtual care, shed their extraneous parts, and reinvented themselves around ER, ICU, and other acute scenarios? Given the choice, most people strongly prefer at-home treatment and convalescence for anything short of emergency-level care. Technology is quickly making this safe, economical, and practical. So is the answer more buildings? More beds? A more optimized sick care system? Should we wait for a consumer to become a patient in order to engage them in their health or involve them in the design process? While involving them at all in the process would be progress, I think we know the answer. We could do better. It's time to change the narrative around what's possible in healthcare. Who says that the only way to make people healthier is to get better at treating them after they're sick? Let's see beyond current healthcare and look to the health of individuals and communities. And then let's involve stakeholders earlier in the design process until one day the industry standard is designing with consumers at the center, along with careful consideration of how providers fit in. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. Hey listeners, I am so excited for today. We've got Dr. Steve Ambrose in the house and we're going to dig in. When I say dig in, we are going to really get deep on a couple of different sides of consumer-first healthcare that we haven't talked about a lot, but they impact everything. And quite frankly, we need to be talking about them more. But a little bit more about Steve before we go any further. I'm really excited, I mean, first off, Steve's one of those that We've engaged so much on LinkedIn that I'm surprised that we haven't met in person, but it's it's bound to happen. It's going to happen. The universe is going to dictate this in some way. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Steve, he's got more than 25 years of experience across multiple segments of healthcare, uh, plus data technology, consulting, and consumer industries. One of the things I really think is cool is how he began his career as a consumer-centric clinic-managing healthcare provider. He was treating up to 65 patients a day for more than 20 years. while he was still in practice, he started a HIPAA compliant data technology. It was blending PNC insurer and health payer claims data. It's this convergence of all the things we talk about here, Steve, but let me welcome you first and then we'll get a little bit more into uh, your origin story. How are
2: you doing? Jared, fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. I will tell you that uh, being a former podcast host myself, your show is on my subscription list. I don't keep many and I am definitely spreading the word about healthcare rap. I really love your show and it's a uh, it's a privilege being on. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, genuinely the privilege is all ours, Steve. I mean the to think back, I have to be careful when I'm talking to former to fellow <laughs> podcasters. I'm like I can just geek out on the things we learn and and all the, you know, talk shop basically as podcasters and for our listeners sake, I'm going to <laughs> do my best. I'm going to control myself. But Steve, tell me, what did I miss in the bio in terms of the origin story? Where you're at now and where's your focus and anything
2: else I missed? Well, actually, you got a lot of it. I started off my career essentially in healthcare as a a provider. I own my own practice and I understood all about what it was to look at the patient as a genuine consumer because even though I saw you know at times up to 65 patients a day and I managed this clinic, in Richmond, Virginia. What wound up happening also was about 40 to 50% of our patient base at any time was self-pay. So it was their money, it was their paying, and it was important to have real financial conversations and establish real value, you know, to recognize that pricing and money is a part of value and patient experience, right? So I was doing that back in the 90s. And uh, so I worked till about 2014. During that time, I actually raised money and started a data venture called Claim Catcher. And that technology is actually uh, on the block now to be sold. Hopefully I'll I'll get it sold, but it's a, a really unique platform that takes payer data on one side. And on the other side, it takes property and casualty injury claim data. So basically it does two things. It helps health insurance companies find out when one of their members has been in an accident and has actually filed a claim with like a Geico or an Allstate or State Farm. And then it lets those other companies, the the PNC insurers know when they're going through the claim, does this injured person have any past history that could be related? Both those processes on both sides are really not as efficient and as accurate as they can be. So I got a patent on the technology, and and I'm shopping it with some larger clients now. So we'll see about that. And then also in 2014, I left practice and I segued into becoming a vice president of strategy for a 90 million dollar consumer company with about a quarter million clients nationwide. So I left healthcare, and I I got back into sort of uh, more of a traditional business role. And so for the last few years, I've been in private consulting and candidly, I'll just share with you and your audience that, uh, and you can, anybody can hit me up on LinkedIn, just go to Dr. Steve Ambrose. I'm having some really great exploratory calls about, transitioning from private consulting back into a leadership role for a healthcare tech company. So I'm geeked up about this. I'm in a good place right now in life. Kids are moved out and I'm just kind of ready for the next uh, seven to 10 years of my life. Oh, it's fantastic. You
1: know what's always interesting? For people like me, it's been so eye-opening to know how many options there are and how many different roles you can play and, and options there are for, for later on in the career and a varied uh, interests and abilities of uh, providers coming in and out of healthcare. This impacts what we were just describing, some of the moves you've made and where you're looking to go now. I feel like a lot of that comes back to the business of healthcare. There's a majority now of Americans on a high deductible plan. And what that does is it's created this cash-based economy for healthcare that is outside of the payer model. And so what does that do? I'd like to think it's opened up opportunities. One of those has to do with where Google Health is now. They've been in the news a lot, Steve, but you had some, some opinions on that and, and some thoughts or almost like a plea for them of like where we hope they go in a consumer-first way. Uh, tell us about that. What were your
2: thoughts uh, for Google Health? Yeah, thanks for that. Just in the last week or so, there's been, you know, all this talk about Google. Google Health's disbanding. That David Feinberg left. He's gone to Cerner. You know what's happening at Google? Are they exiting out of the healthcare space? Their main thrusts have really been sort of threefold. The first has been with Fitbit and wearables. The second has been with personal healthcare records. Uh, they've had varied success there. And then the third one is with uh, that, that I know really is with Verily. And where they focus on life sciences, sort of a moonshot for life sciences. It's called Verily. It's an offshoot of Alphabet or, you know, people say Google. It's really Alphabet. And no, I I made a post today and I said, look, guys, I addressed it to the Google leaders that now run the Google Health segment, Karen DeSalvo, uh, Jeff Dean, just a number of folks there that I'm connected with already. And I just called it like it was, you know, Jared. I said, look, you guys have been focusing on the clinical side, the data side that's great there's certainly value there but guess what you know if you guys have a division there called consumer health then what's probably bigger than anything today for consumers in healthcare is affordability and prices and it's and when i use the term consumer i'm not talking just about patients for me when i think consumers in healthcare i think about patients And I think about employers, because it's not just the people who are receiving healthcare; It's the people and entities who are paying for it. And so one of the things I said in the post is, look, you guys got all this tremendous power between, you know, DeepMind, your AI, your human assets, your certainly your financial investments, uh, your partnering that you can do. Why don't you find a way to look at what's going on with price transparency and with the claim feeds that are available that you can de identify historically. And why don't you start reverse engineering and cutting in there and seeing if we can't flush out ways to give consumers more leverage around pricing and around choice, two things that are not part of healthcare today. Purposely, I may add, healthcare prices in most of the industries are purposely shielded. I call it price shielding, and I think it's very applicable. But I think this is an area that Google can make a tremendous impact on, Jared. And I think, too, when you want to talk about the change that didn't happen because of uh, JP Morgan and Amazon and Berkshire, you know, they were trying to change things by keeping the model mostly the same. You got to shake things up. This system needs some real shaking up, and it's not going to happen from providers. It's not going to happen from payers or pharma companies, right? It's got to happen from employers and forces and companies that are empowering employers to have more leverage and choice. That's where I see Google and where they can make a substantial difference. So
1: talk about some of those companies outside of healthcare, outside of providers. Like you were saying, some of the ones who we are going to see and already are seeing some of the innovation on the pricing side, whether it's price transparency or you know discount drug cards. I mean, there there are some it seems like a, that uh, you're you're pretty in tune with here. Uh, any thoughts on where are the ones to keep an eye on now? Not just as a competitor, but like what can we learn from them?
2: Well. One of the things that's happening more and more as new entrants are coming in, particularly companies that may not necessarily need to carry patient data, what's happening is companies and people are starting to become more savvy about prices and really places they can go for new options. So we all know about GoodRx, right? Everybody knows about GoodRx, and it's a front-facing site for consumers. Really what they are, if you want to break it down, is um, and I know a lot of folks in this PBM drug space, but they're really an extension of the PBM that's consumer facing. Pharmacy benefit managers are not traditionally consumer facing. You know, their clients are employers or are employers or payers. So this is a whole new line for them. And for GoodRX, they're really a coupon site that just gives extended pricing to consumers, and consumers are not sharing healthcare information. They're basically just getting a coupon and redeeming it at the retail pharmacy. And, you know, some people think it's a really good model. I happen to think it's a very smart model. I don't know if their valuation right now, I think is, is sky high. I think last year they cleared 550 million and they're set for even more this year, Jared. But there's a couple players I also like, in the prescription space, one of which today on August 26th just went live, and it's called Direx Health. That's D as in dog, I-R-X, health.com. And I just talked to Satish, the CEO last night, late. He actually reached out to me. We had a long talk. Take a look at this company because what they do is they focus on generics, which is about 90% of the prescription market today, and what they do is, I, I know for the listeners here who may not know, the drug supply chain model, whether you're talking about generic or whether you're talking about specialty drugs, is really convoluted, complex, as you know, Jared. And, and certainly there's a lot of hands there taking money between, <laughs> between the manufacturer and the patient. But what they're doing at Directs Health is they are getting rid of the payer, they're getting rid of the drug wholesalers. They're getting rid of the PBMs, they're getting rid of the retail pharmacy, and they're stepping in and they are directly connecting and purchasing generics from the manufacturer. And then they're selling them for, you know, a ridiculously low upcharge for consumers. And there's another company in this space called Scripco. Scriptco is out of Texas. They do almost the same thing, except they buy from wholesalers and they give the same wholesale price to consumers, and they charge like I think a yearly fee of one hundred and forty dollars. But at the end of the day, between GoodRx and these two companies, I think on the drug side, you're going to see a lot of great movement around generics and specialty for sure, and that's going to give people some terrific options, and certainly employers. Great options, and um, on the other side, you've got direct primary care. Uh, primary care has got a lot of changes right now going on in its models. You've got companies, you got direct primary care practitioners, and and they've been around for a while. You've also got models like ChenMed for seniors on Medicare Advantage. ChenMed does a great job; they're a full risk company. Then you've got Oak Street and Iora Health. So you've got a lot going on in primary care not to mention as you and I have talked about before you've got a lot of non-healthcare companies that are using telehealth to get into healthcare companies like with like Walmart or Amazon or you're going to soon be seeing I think Dollar General is making a big play to hit rural America here with this where they're not necessarily holding the patient healthcare data so much as they are partnering selectively with their existing consumer base that already trusts them, right? So these are some of the unique models that are out there. What you're not seeing, sadly, and what I think needs to really be called for are changes in care that involve secondary, tertiary, and ancillary care, which unfortunately is most of the healthcare spending that's happening, way beyond primary care. So because of what you said before, high-deductible health plans – that are continuously growing in the unaffordability, even by companies now, there's a big gap that's needing to be filled and it's getting filled in some unique ways.
1: Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. Stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT.
2: Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you traveled down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there.
1: That's a great way to tie these thoughts together, especially when you mention employers as part of it. I'm fascinated by that that definition of consumerism, about whether it's just patients or if it's patients and employers. Mm. Let's go down that rabbit hole here for a moment, because I think it's an important distinction. You know, you also mentioned direct primary care, right? So if I'm putting the, these pieces together, I'm looking at it through this lens you know, personally, but I'm also seeing the need of an ability to stack some of these solutions on top of each other. Namely, if I'm an employer... And I'm looking at what are the benefits that I've had to provide in the past and how do I build a new solution? You know, DPC could be part of that for my employees. But then, like you said, there, there's prescription drug benefits. What do you think on that side of things? Like, where should employers even be looking? And, and is that accurate to say it's it's an opportunity for them?
2: Okay, so let me start off first with uh, direct primary care. One of the things I think that has really held back direct primary care from major adoption is the fact that, and this battle's been going on for years and this is a battle about making direct primary care able to be covered under your your HSA, your health savings account. Why in the world it's not is beyond me. Why you can go into a fee for service model and use your HSA to pay for any copay or whatever, and have that properly credited with monies you've set aside, pre tax monies. That's great. Why you can't do that with a licensed doctor who happens to be a DPC doctor, direct primary care, which for the uninitiated, these are doctors that have broken away from the system. They don't bill insurance. They don't bill Medicare. And you go in there and you pay somewhere between, it depends, but somewhere between 60 to $100 a month. And what you get is high level, high quality care that is unlimited. And these doctors are full of heart. They make themselves available, some of them make themselves available 24 hours a day on their phone to their patients, and they have smaller patient panels. So the average doctor today sees somewhere between 2,000 to 2,300 patients on their quote unquote panel. These DPC doctors are carrying somewhere between 500 to 800 patients. So they spend more time with their patients and they can have more meaningful conversations about journey and decisions. And the other thing that's really neat about DPC doctors is they build up an ancillary network of places that will work with their patients on lab tests. Green imaging is a very... I plug green imaging wherever I can. That's Kristen Dickerson's company. She's terrific. They have 1,200 locations. They rent space from freestanding imaging clinics, and they actually can give an MRI, CAT scan, and images for these DPC or CASH patients, any CASH patients, Jared, for sometimes a fifth of the price that you'd normally pay for an MRI or other imaging. It's drastically lower. So these sort of things, I think, are available. What's Hurt DPC is more political, if anything, is the fact that it's not HSA reimbursable. doesn't mean that it shouldn't be in companies or be introduced. The problem is sort of like, okay, you get your primary care through your insurance. And now you're going to pay over and above that each month per member or per employee for DPC. And for those folks, if they're paying for personally, they can't put it against their their HSA. I think it's a a stupid, stupid restriction. And I think it's one of the first things, if I were in Congress, that I would vote for changing. Interesting. So so that's a a great part
1: of this puzzle to understand in terms of you know, why certain models that are consumer first, you know, may or may not have uh, certain levels of adoption. And I think, yeah, it's really important to factor that into this whole conversation.
2: I would just add one other thing, too. When you talk about secondary and tertiary care, you know, there's a company called Transcarent. You probably know about them. Your audience, Mike, Glenn Tolman, who was a uh, formerly uh, part of Allscripts and part of um, Livongo, has started up this organization I think they got $40 million of of Series A, but essentially they have acquired and partnered with Bridge Health, which is a, I think it's a 300 member centers of excellence around the country, you know, for knee surgeries, for all different types of elective surgeries where they can go in for less price, super high quality, and uh, it saves the company big time dollars. So you know transcarent goes in and they're sort of an advising slash broker slash patient advocate to help steer them into these centers of excellence as a choice and then it you know I mean it could save the company 10, 20 thirty thousand dollars just on one surgery. I mean, it makes a substantial difference to self-paying companies and so you're seeing this as well you know with that's starting to come in these these patient advocacy or or these financial advocates that are coming in on behalf of self insureds and i expect more of that to happen with consumerism
1: what i feel like is that that's got to be the backbone like that has to happen first there has to be something that compensates for that piece in the puzzle on the business model the things that may hold back a certain model of care interesting how how this all kind of ties together because starting from a digital and tech web developer background, essentially, that got pulled into digital marketing because people had to learn how to do platforms, you know, how to yep. engage on certain platforms. There were a few different fields that kind of came together for me uh, earlier on in my career. And then I kept going upstream in terms of like, hey, once we kind of figured out how to stand up digital marketing for a healthcare organization, why would we plateau at a certain point? And then I'd look at, okay, well, wait, what's the business model? What's the value prop that we're actually even out there offering to a patient or to a consumer? Mm. Sometimes it was to a provider. And then there would always be some some work that needed to be done on the actual model itself. And so I think to me, that's why I see these parts of the puzzle that don't necessarily get discussed in the marketing side of the world. We kind of go with, hey, here's how we improve the system. Here's how we optimize. We, I hear that word optimize all the time. We can only optimize so much and we right. really have to understand how we are being driven to make certain choices as consumers. And I think that's how I tie this all back to the beginning in terms of all these models and what the actual choices are greatly impacts how a consumer is going to select their care, how they're going to approach where to
2: even look that entire process is exhausting i should add on purpose the system is designed to be non-consumer friendly it's designed to limit uh price competition and that sort of thing like in normal industries right we can't ignore
1: those pieces the more we understand about them the more we realize and we don't get frustrated when we look at hey why aren't we getting the engagement or the adoption of consumer first offerings why aren't they even going further why are they plateauing this is the foundational layer if this isn't there if the choices aren't there if the business model doesn't work or if there are obstacles that are blocking adoption of it then if we don't get past those then ultimately we don't have as consumer focused of a product out there in the healthcare world so
2: yes you made excellent points and and the two levers that really have to be pulled here are price transparency not just from providers and payers, but from employers really stepping up and taking advantage of, that's who's going to take advantage of price transparency first. You know, everybody says to me, because I do a lot of posts on price transparency and I do stories on it. And well, you know, it's not going to be ready for consumers. Even if everybody was compliant with it, consumers wouldn't understand it. And they're absolutely right. I've been on the phone I shouldn't say secretly, Jared, but I've been on the phone uh, this week with a lot of revenue cycle professionals just having candid, confidential conversations. And I'm going to tell you, I have learned a lot about the thought process. And they know the prices that are being set are ridiculous on the charge masters. They know they're putting people in debt. They know what's happening. And they also know that the system is so built up. That the margins are so razor thin in some cases for hospitals that, you know, this is the business model. And, you know, it's amazing because hospitals and health systems seem to be pitted as the bad guys. I think there needs to be an opportunity for change here, but it's going to have to really come from the employers who start to get this information from price transparency, particularly the the provider machine file feeds that show the rates that are being paid, and they're going to have to take action on it. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we're going to have to look at not just how primary care is being redeveloped, because it is, we're going to have to look at new ways that we can really drive down price and cost around secondary and tertiary care, the high dollar cancer treatments and surgeries and the high cost drugs that are out there, somebody's going to have to leverage and really come in from a different area than traditional players to make this happen. It's it's not going to come from politics because price transparency is already starting to get slowed down. If you've been reading the news as of you know last week, now they're saying that you know they're going to delay penalties for hospitals like they thought they were going to lay them in. It's they're going to delay them, and now. It's not January 1st of next year that payers have to become compliant. They're giving payers until July 1st of next year. So everything's starting politically to get kicked down the road a little bit. And it's going to be up to, you know, data companies and employers to go out there and make some things happen on their own. Couldn't
1: agree more. If there's one message you'd like to share with all healthcare organizations, whether it's a a traditional health system or one of these non-traditional entrants that's coming into the market, if there's one message you'd like to share with them about how to create consumer-first healthcare products and services, what would you tell them?
2: I would tell them that prices are eventually going to get competed upon and lowered. It may not happen today, it may not happen because you're contributing data, it may happen because Google's doing something, but the data is going to get out and it's going to happen. And you need to recognize as a hospital and a health system, especially in a time where payer mix is important and, and you're quote unquote patient centered, a few things. One, financial experience is absolutely integral to patient experience. You cannot separate the two. Prices are absolutely going to become more than ever a part of value. You've defined value as quality of care, safety, trust, good communication, great outcomes. All that's true. But the piece you're missing about price is going to come and you need to be prepared for it. The last thing I would say is don't forget where you draw your line in the sand on consumerism. I did a poll recently, 50% of the people, I put it out to health systems and health system leaders, 50% said they would want a chief consumer officer and consumer department, 50% said no. I think a lot of people are thinking that that's the same as a patient experience officer. That's not the same thing. And it depends how you define consumer, is consumer patient or is consumer patient and All types of payers that you can connect with, like self-insureds in your area through direct contracting. How you define consumerism is very important for strategy. And I think to your sweet spot, Jared, more and more patient acquisition and competing on acquisition and journey. It's going to be vitally important and smart health systems and hospitals are going to have to start learning how to connect with consumers and transition them into patients in meaningful ways.
1: Well, Steve, this podcast is all about value to our listeners and it's safe to say you've delivered a ton of value and i can't thank you enough before we go i want to make sure uh, listeners have a chance to to connect with you if they are not connected with you now what's the best way for them to do that you've mentioned linkedin a couple of times is that the best way or is there another preferred platform how, how can listeners connect
2: the best way is through linkedin i love to connect with people on linkedin you just go to dr steve ambrose you'll see my smiling face i'm uh certainly no Brad Pitt but uh, if you can get past that we'll connect and uh, and go from there and uh, and also I did want to mention too just before we go just in the timeliness here just a shout out to all those people it may not be healthcare related but you know just all those people in Afghanistan that need our prayers our soldiers as well as the people that are suffering with covid here just a time I think to take a few seconds maybe in in your day and and your listeners day, and maybe just say some prayers or put out some good thoughts to things even outside of uh, what we're talking about today.
1: Uh, what a great, great sentiment. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you brought that up. There is so much going on in the world. There's so many people who need our thoughts and prayers. So thanks for ending on such a great positive note for us, Steve. Stay safe, stay well, and can't wait to keep up and, and follow everything you've got going on. Thanks for sharing so much with us today.
2: Thank you, my friend. Feelings are mutual. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we want to capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod.
1: Hey, thanks so much to Steve, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app, then tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. Folks, if you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest podcast in our network called Hello Healthcare. It's hosted by Chris Hempel, and it's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at shift.health, where all 35 podcasts and video shows are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap.